If you have your Bible with you, if you don't, there's a one in the pew there in front of you in the back of the pew. I want you to put your finger in Luke 2, but also in Philippians 2. We've been in a series where we've been calling, we've called it the God who speaks. And the entire narrative has, has really brought us to tonight. And every, every, every year around this time, you hear the phrase a lot, the spirit of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas. When you hear that, what, what comes to mind? I would ask you to contemplate that. What, what comes to mind? The spirit of Christmas. What's in your mind when I say the spirit of Christmas? I want to help us tonight in these few moments to grasp what the Bible puts forth as far as the spirit of Christmas, a spirit that really ought to permeate a believer's life all year round. When, when we sit back and, and contemplate Christmas, the biblical Christmas, there, there's a sense of wonder, there's a sense of amazement, there's a sense of awe. There's even a spirit, if we're honest sometimes, that it's really beyond comprehension. It's no wonder that many people, uh, maybe even people in this room tonight, find the realities of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, Jesus in a manger. They, they find that hard to believe, hard to comprehend. And the Bible, if we're honest, presents us with, with, some, with some difficult truths. Atonement, that one man could pay the penalty for the sins of the entire world, that God would crush one man, crucify one man, Jesus Christ, and through faith in Him, we could find atonement. The resurrection, that, that three days later after Jesus was crucified, that three days later He came out of the tomb. Even tonight, the virgin birth, that, that Jesus was born to a very, very young lady who was a, a virgin. I, I, if we're honest, all of those can be complicated. All of those are stumbling blocks. But, but I would put forth the story behold, before us tonight, the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus' arrival, is the most amazing, presents us with the greatest mystery, really, in all the Bible. I mean, li listen to this in Luke 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken for all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. Or in order to register in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same reason, that region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For in the today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. It's here at Christmas that, as I said, we're confronted with one of the greatest mysteries, one of the most unique mysteries that we as Christians behold, and it's the fact that God took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's what John 1 says, that behold, that God, He took on flesh, the Word became flesh. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, where the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, That Word, who was equally fully God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That, that God would step into our world, that He would take on flesh, that He would uh, appear helplessly in a manger, unable to do anything of His own, needing to be fed and cared for and taught, like any other child. Grasp that. A, a, a profounding truth universally understood to the point where John didn't even tell about it. John gets right to the theological truth. That baby in a manger is God dwelling among His people. And if we don't, we don't think about this, but that really is the stumbling block of Christianity. It's at this intersection of humanity and divinity that every single religion in the world has been divided. Who is this baby in a manger? Is he fully God? Is he fully man? Is he simply a good man? This is where the incarnation, God taking on flesh, this is where the division happens. The fact that God became flesh, and it's either misbelief or inadequate belief that's sourced in the, in the incarnation. Who is this baby in the manger? And yet, I believe that's so because when you grasp the incarnation... When you grasp fully, grasp fully what it means, everything else in the Bible makes total sense. It falls into place. See, if Jesus is no more than some remarkable godly man, it makes sense that what the Bible 
records as facts would be hard to grasp outside of his incarnation. The creation, miracles, the resurrection. Those are all difficult to grasp if, grasp if Jesus is just a good, mere man. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is who the writers of Scripture say he is, if he is who all the prophets foretold he would be, then everything else makes sense. It's, it's no real wonder that what he, you would find him doing in the Bible. It's no wonder that he would resurrect. It's no wonder that he would conquer death. It's no wonder that he would crush Satan. After all, he's the author of life. And, and this is the, that is the focus of the, bio, the biblical, the Bible narrative. Not, not so much on the details of the circumstances of his birth, as much as communicating the true identity of the one who was born. And, and it's to this end that, that we have to grasp, I, I want us to grasp a couple truths as we move into Philippians 2, and, and that we have to, to grasp a, a, about Christmas. And the first one is this, that, that the baby born in Bethlehem was God. More specifically, Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity. Again, John, John says this very clearly in his gospel. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he says, The Word became, that Word that was fully God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Again, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him. Again, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the Son of God, fully equal. Fully deity. To, to be a Christian, one must believe in God the Father, in God the Son, total deity, total humanity. And John goes to great lengths in this first chapter to, to show that Jesus is no mere man. That he's complete, 100% humanity and deity. And the Christmas message really rests on that staggering, divisive, but staggering, truthful claim. That this baby in the manger is fully God. But, but that baby not only is, was God, that baby born at Bethlehem was God made man. The Word became flesh. Again, it's interesting to me that John, he doesn't stress the virgin birth. He doesn't stress the city. You know what John stresses? The humanity and the deity. That this baby is fully God, and yet fully man. A real, Jesus was a real human baby. He didn't cease to be God in any way, shape, or form, even though he was fully man. He who created all things is now part of that creation. Hebrews 2, 
Verse 17 and 18, Hebrews 4, state this, that Jesus had to be like his brothers in every way because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet just as we are, yet was without sin. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. As, as I contemplated that, I thought about Philippians 2. We, we, we get very caught up about this baby in the manger and we, we forget the rest of the story. And, and, and Paul in Philippians 2 really picks that up. He picks up the, the spirit. He picks up the, 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 the humility that, of, of Christ that he would take on flesh. And that's really that, that's what I started thinking about, that spirit of Christmas. Because many of us Christians are going to say, okay, we know that story. What about today? Here, here's today. Paul writes in Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, those words, if there, in the Greek, literally mean since. Since there is that. Listen to what Paul says. The Spirit of Christmas. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than, our, than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And here, here's how he connects it. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ. Listen, here it is. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, here it is, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that their every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I believe Paul right there for us, as we behold our King, Paul says, Look, be, behold your King in His fullness. Every ounce, what he starts with, he says, Look to your king for encouragement. Look for your king for love. Look for your king for fellowship. Look for your king for, for affection and compassion. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Fully God and yet he took on flesh. The manger in Bethlehem was one step on a road that led the Son of God to a cross at Calvary. Don't, don't stop simply at the taking on of flesh. Don't, don't see merely a baby. See a king. See God. See a Savior. See, see the humility 
of our God emptying himself. That word, that word really is it's emptying by, the, by addition, taking on flesh, laying down his rights, laying down prerogatives, if you will. Emptying himself. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 sheds further light on this if we can, so that we can grasp as we behold our King and, and really grasp the spirit of Christmas. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, so that through His poverty we might become rich. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. The spirit of Christmas is humility. It's grace. It's emptying yourself, and I don't mean just your pocketbooks. It's emptying yourself on behalf of others. Jesus would empty himself by voluntarily restraining some benefits of him being God for the sole purpose of giving himself up for the penalty of our sin. To die, again, Paul says, not just any death, to die a criminal's death. To pay for sins that he did not commit. Jesus emptied himself in that he laid aside his glory, if you will. He voluntarily restrained his, the power and the prerogatives and he accepted hardship. He accepted isolation ill-treatment, misunderstanding, ultimately death. He became poor so that we might become rich in Him through faith. That's the story of Christmas. This little baby in a manger would grow up to bear our greatest burden, that of sin and separation and the wrath of God do our sin. Jesus would bear this burden for us in love. And, and love for his enemies. That Jesus would make a way. This baby in a manger is, is, is God making a way for his creation, for sinners to be reconciled to, to their creator by having their sins forgiven, by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Christmas message is, is there, is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God, hope of glory, hope of our own resurrection. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in a stable so that some 30 years later, he might hang on a tree and three days after that be resurrected. That's the Christmas story. The most wonderful story ever told. And, and I want to encourage us, but also challenge us tonight, but but that's the true spirit of Christmas. For, for many of us, maybe in this room, the spirit of Christmas is no more than some sentimental jolly that we just put on this smile with no real weight all year long. But when we truly grasp, when we truly contemplate the reality of Christmas, the reality of Jesus Christ taking on flesh, becoming poor that those who through faith could be, have their sins forgiven and, and thus inherit eternal life and be rich, of him dying a criminal's death, of, of three days later being resurrected and promising in John 11 that if you believe in me, you will not die even though you may die. 
It's letting the reality of that permeate our lives. The, the true spirit of Christmas is not that of the Levite or the Pharisee, of, of seeing needs around them and doing nothing. Of being thankful that they're not like terrible sinners like the others. Or passing on the other side of the street so they don't have to be confronted with the real issue. No. The spirit of Christmas is humility. The spirit of Christmas is emptying ourselves Again, all year long because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And in the power that He offers us, emptying ourselves so that others could be made rich by His grace as well. That's the spirit of Christmas. That although He was rich, He became poor for the sake of others. More than just becoming, again, poor financially, but of giving your life for others of your time, your resources, enduring trouble, offering real care and concern, taking up each other's burdens. Romans, listen to Romans 13, verses 8 through 11. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Not earning our righteousness, but living in the overflow of the righteousness that Christ purchased us. Again, in Galatians 6.2, he says something very similar. He says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus Christ, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christmas is this. It's the humility that says, Jesus Christ bore my burden. And now I'm free to bear other people's burdens. And in doing so, glorify my Savior. The, the spirit of Christmas, again, it's Christ became poor for us, making us rich through faith and thereby we can make ourselves poor on behalf of others. And Paul says, that's the spirit of Christmas. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also... For the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Do you see the connection with Luke 2? The overflow of this Christmas story is have the same attitude. That was also in Christ. It's humility. It's the freedom to bear other people's burdens because our greatest burden, our sin and our shame and the wrath of God that is due our sin has been borne by Jesus Christ for those of us who are believers alone in Jesus Christ. As you truly behold, as we've talked and saying tonight, as you truly behold our King, that's the Spirit that ought to permeate our lives. 
As we behold this baby in a manger, the, the awe and the wonder and the amazement that God would empty himself by taking on flesh, ultimately to die a criminal's death. I, I pray that would be our, our spirit as believers, not only this Christmas, not only today, not only tomorrow, but all year long, that we would make much in doing so, we would be beholding our king before a watching world and make much of our king. And through that, may our Christmas truly be merry as we behold our king. And as our band comes up, as we continue singing and worshiping and beholding our king, I challenge you that, that may that, as you contemplate this baby in a manger, as you contemplate the Christmas story. I pray that would be the spirit of Christmas through us, the humility, the emptying, and one day the glory that is to come.